This podcast is sponsored by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern Reformation. Listen for a special May offer at the conclusion of today's program. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Carl Truman, a professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my usual co-host, Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor, or if you're Megan Basham, major pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, in the equally beautiful Shenandoah You're Valley. here. Are you yes. in Loudoun County, Todd? No, I'm not in Loudoun County. That's over, you know, that's further over near DC. I'm, okay. I'm way out okay. in Rockingham County, you know, where where the people are 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 down to earth and um, you know, don't think too highly of themselves like like those folks in Loudoun County. <laughs> you know, we we're we're much more humble out here in Rockingham. Salt of the earth. So you know we are that. we're we're the salt of the earth, you know. We're just we're just good down to earth people, Carl. Good, good. Yes, with a, for a mega church pastor, you seem remarkably humble. I have to say, brother, remarkably humble. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, uh, I'm oftentimes asked about what my biggest weaknesses are, and I, you know, my answer is always the same. You know, I work too hard. I serve too much. Um, You're too I, humble. I, I, You're too I care. Humble, I, I care too deeply. I volunteer yeah. too often. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you are indeed God's gift to the rest of us. My life has been immensely enriched by our friendship. I can't believe that I've allowed you to hang around for over a decade now. Over a decade now, yeah. It's uh, um, 14 years, I think. 14 years of friendship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And And I've still only visited your house once. Well, come on out next week. Bring your wife, of course, because I, you know, we'd get Karen and I would get tired of you real quick. I've got to go to Philadelphia to see my beautiful granddaughter. Absolutely. I'm happy to report that all evidence suggests that she is just as charming and cute as her paternal grandfather. That's so I'm very, very pleased. Very that pleased. Good to hear. Now, lest our um, our audience think that uh, this is all we're going to do, um, Carl, why don't you uh, uh, introduce uh, a, a guest that we have? And 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 by the way, our guest today is going to really up our international cachet. Yes. So, of course, I, I think at this point in time. Where England playing France is imminent in rugby, I think. So, but prior to the result of the game, I can say with all all honesty, we are privileged mm-hmm. to have a, I think, our first French guest. I think so on the program, uh, and it's not just his Frenchness that makes him remarkable, but <laughs> in an era when we have become all too used to these pseudo sophisticated stories of people deconstructing their faith. What used to be called plain old apostasy now has this postmodern veneer of of deconstructing the faith about it. We have a guest who has a sophisticated story of moving in the other direction. Uh, This gentleman was 
a very successful software engineer on Wall Street, a musician, and a volleyball player. I'm not sure how sophisticated the volleyball makes you. <laughs> in America, is, in America, it counts. You set the bar very low for sophistication in America, <laughs> actually, particularly compared to the French. But it's a real pleasure to have uh, a gentleman called Guillaume Bignon on the podcast. Guillaume is the author of a new book, Confessions of a French Atheist, which charts in fascinating detail the way in which uh, Christ and the claims of the gospel came to overwhelm all of his objections, all of his upbringing, and bring him into a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Guillaume, it's great to have you on the show. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Perhaps you'd like to, to start by giving uh, our listeners something of your background. We know that you're an evangelical Protestant Christian now, but tell us about the background. Where, where, where do your origins lie spiritually? Yeah, so I, I grew up in France, uh, as my accent readily betrays. Uh, I, uh, I was in France until I was 25. Uh, and very early on, I grew up somewhat in the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, but it was more of a tradition and just uh, that's what we did. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think that this was a very meaningful uh, experience for any of us. Uh, and when I was old enough to tell my parents I didn't believe any of this, I was essentially an atheist for most of my young adult life. Uh, and in France, I mean, I don't know if your listeners or if you are very much aware of the context or the, the, the air we breathe, mm. uh, but it's a very natural thing to do to simply not believe, not engage in religion. And it never felt like a real deconversion mm. or a radical change in life. Uh, simply like this is what we do or rather this is what we don't do. And so uh, religion was not really much of a, of a factor at the point where I just left it behind. Uh, and it seemed like I was just uh, living my life in pursuit of happiness and mm. in this wonderful country of France uh, and seeking my own pleasure in a number of ways. So that's, that was a, a little bit of the uh, quote-unquote deconversion story, but really more of a growing into what had always been my worldview, which was, mm -hmm. I don't think there's a God. I don't think it's worth thinking about it too much. Uh, and let's just look for the joys of life, a mm -hmm. very French thing to do. Yeah. And that's interesting because in not believing you weren't doing anything countercultural, there weren't a lot of voices, I would imagine, certainly not in the culture, um, pleading with you to believe. So it, it, it was a perfectly kind of natural, common thing for you to to not believe. And, and I, 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 was, I was really interested in, in how you describe how some of the cracks in the foundation, so to speak, of your unbelief how those began to appear. Explain that a little bit. When did, when did kind of a, the, the, this haunting reality that, oh, perhaps God is, when did that begin to sort of batter against the walls of your, of your unbelief? And, and how did that come about? Yeah, so the, there was no pressure for me to, to uh, uh, conform uh, mm -hmm. to the faith or to, to consider even the Christian faith. Uh, so even the likelihood that I would even hear any sort of invitation or pressure to consider the claims of Christianity was extremely improbable, uh, which is why my story is so much fun to tell. And this is why we wrote the book, is that um, the, the likelihood of this happening were super low and that it happened anyway with all sorts of providential improbabilities, uh, strange meetings and strange timing and experience in trying to escape a church. So lots of things that kind of conspired against me, yeah. uh, meeting uh, uh, then through these, uh, meeting a pastor in France with whom I started to have lengthy conversations uh, and uh, started to um, 
try to consider the, the claims of the Christian faith. Uh, again, uh, there's lots of ins and outs on how, sure. why that came about to begin with. There was a meeting of a woman on the other side of the world with a random hitchhiking and then uh, <laughs> uh, discovering that she was a believer and that uh, therefore her view of morality and sexual ethics would be very different than mine as a French atheist. And so the quest of trying to disprove her faith so that she could stop with all of this religious nonsense <laughs> and we could be together uh, was the initial impetus, which yeah. is clearly not orthodox. Um, and then in that context, uh, trying to give a fair hearing to the claims of the Christian faith uh, is where I started to have those conversations to try to understand what is even claimed, what is the view, uh, what are some of the things that, are, that Christianity puts on the table. Um, and so for me, this was a real exercise in discovery. Uh, this was also the opportunity to actually read the Bible, which I had never done seriously before that. Uh, and so there's a number of different peaks of light that started, started to shine through the cracks, like you described them. Mm. Um, some of them were simply just encountering, encountering the person of Jesus in the New Testament. It was a mm. very strange experience for me um, mm. because uh, all I could remember of Christianity was what I took to be quite boring experience in the uh, church benches of my childhood. Yeah. And reading the New Testament, I discovered in Jesus a fascinating character who spoke with authority, who was very smart, who navigated brilliantly in conversation and uh, spoke with claims that he was here to save the world and that uh, he was the revelation of God on this uh, planet. Uh, it was clearly a very, very powerful experience to just be confronted with the claims and the character of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, and then there's a number of side other issues that, yeah. uh, that came uh, crashing in. Uh, one of which was also my, the confrontation of what good reasons I might have to, to even believe that there's no God. So I had grown with and absorbed somewhat the uh, scientific pretensions of uh, my upbringing. You think, well, you know, science clearly disproves that God exists mm -hmm. and I'm a very reasonable scientific person. So I'm going to believe that. Uh, and then just for, for a minute sitting down and considering the claims of Christianity, realizing that my scientific knowledge acquired in engineering school actually did not contain much that was even relevant to the question of God's existence, let alone refuting it. Um, so uh, appreciating that there was not this huge pile of scientific knowledge that stood in the way of accept accepting the existence of God. Uh, meeting that pastor who seemed to genuinely believe in the supernatural and the miracles and in particular in the resurrection of Jesus um, made me realize that you don't need, contrary to my presumptions, you don't need to be absolutely foolish in order to believe in the supernatural yeah. or in God's existence. So a number of those things can kind of align at the right time and make me start to think, hey, what if this is actually true? This is a yeah. huge deal and I didn't anticipate any of this, but what if it's true? You know, one of the things that, that um, I so appreciated and was encouraged by uh, that you write about, and you mentioned it um, as you were sharing there, is so often when people either are raised unbelieving or they, or they are raised Christian but then depart the faith, um, they actually don't know what it is that they're rejecting. In other words, they haven't read the Bible. They, they've read almost nothing of the accounts of Jesus's life. Um, and so they actually don't really know what they're rejecting. And, and, and as I, I, as I read about, you know, the, the, the challenge you undertook to, to begin reading and hearing about what Jesus was, it, it, you know, things were, you were seeing things obviously that 
you'd never seen before, heard things you hadn't heard before, read things you hadn't read before. And, all, and that, that's why I think so often in our evangelism, when we when we're, have a relationship with somebody and try and deal with them, one of the first things we do is tell them to start reading certain portions of the Bible so they can at least know what it is they're rejecting before they actually reject it. Yes, and, and it sounds almost boring, doesn't it? Right. So, I mean, uh, if you want to know, like, why don't you just read the Bible? Right. Um, in, in my case, this was an incredibly, incredibly powerful experience, mm. and and part of that too. I mean, it, it was discovering something that again, American evangelicals are going to be saying, "Well, oh, that's the basics of the faith." But for me, it was a truly shocking message. Was the Christian specific message that uh, eternal life, salvation, is offered to you? freely by faith mm. and not by good works. Mm. So that discovery took quite a bit of time for me to even understand. So this is hilarious in retrospect because that pastor that I had met in France with whom I started those uh, curious conversations clearly had given me a booklet with the basics of the Christian faith, which very straightforwardly walked me through those basics that we are sinners, that we are uh, standing uh, accused by a holy God, and that therefore we cannot stand on our own righteousness, but Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that by faith we receive that gift. Those were fairly clearly laid out, but it did not make any sense to me. I, yeah. I'm not talking about being plausible. I'm saying I just didn't understand this. And it wow, was yeah. really a process of even starting to pray as an unbeliever. Right? This was kind of one of the experiments that I did uh, to say, well, you know, if there's a God out there now, you uh, might be interested in the fact that I'm looking into this. Why don't you go ahead and reveal yourself to me? Um, and, and those unbelieving prayers were clearly heard. And in retrospect, so all the pieces came together at the right time. One very important of which was my final understanding of the gospel through one very providential reactivation of my conscience. Mm. It was really a key turning point in this intellectual investigation when it became more than just an intellectual exercise of figuring out what are the reasons to believe or not believe, but the message of the Christian faith that I had been reading about finally came alive in the fact that mm. just at that right time, I also came to commit some seriously immoral actions, and I was... Um, suppressing this and lying to myself and lying to everyone else to hide what I had done. But just at the right time, as I was considering the claims of the Christian faith, my conscience was reactivated. Mm. Obviously, in retrospect, I would say God reactivated yeah, my conscience. Yeah. And through this, I was crippled with guilt. Right. Uh, and, and it's in a place of deep pain out of that guilt that finally the message of the gospel made sense and mm -hmm. i realized well okay that makes sense now i understand that and i accepted the good news of the gospel mm -hmm. and truly lived a spiritual renewal where my guilt uh, evaporated mm -hmm. and i felt i had encountered the living god so okay. the the discovery of what may seem like a trivial basic christian truth was extremely powerful to me and was a key turning point in my coming to christ mm, that's great now, Guillaume, you're a, clearly a man of science. Uh, the way you talk about being an engineer and then going on doing a, being a software engineer, uh, I think it's definitely the case that the work of somebody like Charles Taylor, philosopher, has, has pretty much put to death the idea that that religion dies out because science takes over, and yet that that myth continues to grip the imagination of people, and and oddly seems to grip the imagination of the kind of people who are deconstructing their faith uh, on the internet. Now, in the book, you spend some time talking about the issue of miracles and the issues of evolution, both of which are standard points of debate in the theism versus atheism kind of 
thing. I mean, David Hume's famous essay on miracles, I still teach that in a class at, at Grove each year. Uh, what would you say to, to a young Christian who's struggling with their faith because they're feeling pressure relative to can I believe in miracles or does the theory of evolution prove such a compelling explanatory scheme for reality that I, I have to let go of my Christian faith at this point? What would you say to a young person or indeed an older person who may be wrestling with those kind of questions? Yeah, so maybe let's tackle the question of evolution first. Uh, this was not a huge deal prior to my conver conversion, but it's a topic that came to the forefront immediately after when I started to discuss with all of my friends and family in France who were still atheists, and I tried to explain to them why I hadn't lost my mind in becoming a Christian, and the, the topic of evolution came uh, very quickly. And so this is something that we work through together. I mean, the, uh, the objections from their end were not extremely sophisticated either. Uh, it's not like they had accumulated all of this massive knowledge about evolution and the understanding of why this must be the true account of life's origins and why it's incompatible with Christianity. So I, I kind of work my way with them through the, their, think, their own thinking. And the way that I presented it in the book is that there are really two important considerations. One is that um, in order for evolution to count as a successful piece of argumentation against the Christian faith, you would need to establish two things. One, that it's incompatible with Christian views of the world. And two, that it's actually true. Right? So if, if you establish that it's true and incompatible with Christianity, then it follows that Christianity is false. And I suggest uh, that both of those premises can be denied by a sensible Christian today. There are plenty of Christians we see in standard theories of evolution, no uh, strong challenge to their Christian view of the origin of life uh, and, and engage in the exercise of reconciling those two. And that's fine. That's an exercise that can be done. So obviously this is going to be more uh, difficulty here on how do you interpret certain biblical teachings about the origin of life and do they actually fit with the Darwinian schemes? But there's a sensible way of reconciling those two. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, there's the real genuine question of saying, okay, let's look at the species where maybe these two are not compatible. And then what are some of the good reasons to think that the evolutionary accounts of Darwinian origin is actually true? And here there's, again, plenty of sensible ways of rejecting that. So um, the, the, the burden for counting against Christianity is to establish both of those things. And I suggest that both of those things can be sensibly uh, rejected. So that's how I approach the topic of evolution in, in the topic and in my conversations. As far as miracles are concerned, you, you asked me, so how do we approach those? Uh, this was actually an important piece for me to come to, to faith uh, in Christianity um, because part of what I came to appreciate with my scientific arrogance uh, is that um, science is a very wonderful way of knowing some things about the world. And so it's a genuine, reliable, though imperfect source of knowledge. Um, but I had somewhat assumed that this was the only source of knowledge, that if you were to know anything in life, then you needed scientific evidence in favor of it. This, is, this was kind of just a, a common assumption that I had absorbed myself. And uh, through my own thinking throughout this period of considering the truth of the Christian faith, it was, it was clear to me that miracles were somewhat at odds with this idea. So I don't know how they fit with science. Do they go against science? Are they just temporary breaking of what science tells us? It wasn't super clear, but one thing became very obvious to me is that there's actually plenty of things that I knew to be true without having scientific evidence in favor of them. 
That is, that there's plenty of ways that we know things in much more basic ways than to have a scientific experiment or an argument uh, with scientific premises. I know my name. I know my date of birth. I know what happened even when my brother was born and I wasn't born yet. I know that he was born with a C-section and that he came out with the, uh, the cord around his neck and he was blue like a smurf. This is <laughs> things, these are things that I know to be true. Uh, it's not blind faith. I know that for a fact. And how do I know those things? Simply because someone who knew told me. Mm. And I have a reliable testimony that those things really happened. And I re once I realized that there was a, this was a perfectly reasonable way of knowing things, I came to appreciate a little bit differently the testimony that we have in the New Testament, which really presents itself like that. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are really presenting themselves mm. as people who say, here is what we've seen. Here is what we've observed. Here's what we've talked to the people who were there. This is what Jesus did. This is what we saw him say and actually perform. And at that point, yeah, obviously you want to say, okay, we don't believe all testimonies, right? We don't want to be gullible. So you have to engage a little bit in the, the, the questioning of how reliable is that testimony. But in my own appreciation of that content, it's rang true. It seemed authoritative. These people were actually uh, independent uh, sources. Right? That's, uh, I came to find out it's actually an important criteria of historical authenticity later on. But to me, this just was common sense evaluation of what I'm facing. These are several guys who are telling me what they saw. And they all tell me that Jesus performed miracles and was raised from the dead. And it didn't seem plausible to think they were in it for the money <laughs> or for the fame <laughs> or any such reasons. They, they, they kind of tended to suffer for those claims. And so I just came to realize, well, these guys are just telling the truth. And so I, I appreciated that I could form a genuine knowledge of those things about Jesus, despite my not having scientific evidence. And despite the fact that they were uh, describing something that's miraculous. I mean, people don't rise from the dead naturally. But with enough evidence and testimony in favor of it, it seemed like it could be perfectly reasonable to believe these guys are telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, a big barrier to be removed intellectually on my way to accepting the truth of the Christian faith. You know, this is a discussion that I could stretch out for a long time. Uh, I, I would simply tell our, our listeners this, um, that as I, was, as I was reading the book, my enthusiasm kept growing as I thought about the kinds of people I wanted to get this book into their hands. And, and at first I was thinking, oh, you know, this would be great to, you know, to give to someone who's an unbeliever, but, but maybe they're, they're challenging that. And as I, as I read on, I, I saw more and more how I also wanted believing people to read this book because it is a source of encouragement. Not only, you know, we, we all need to be encouraged along the way. We all need to be reminded of those things that the truth that we stand on solid ground in terms of our, our belief in Christ. But the other thing that I was so helped by in, in the book, and, and this came out a couple of times in our discussion, is it's a reminder of when we seek to evangelize people in our lives that don't believe, it, it's not rocket science. You know, your testimony, Guillaume, of the role that the scriptures played, the role that just kind people who gave testimony. Um, and, and then, of course, there are times where, where people with certain kinds of expertise who, who can speak into specific and maybe challenging intellectual barriers, they, they oftentimes will have a great role to play. But I keep thinking about the power of the gospel, the sufficiency of scripture, and those things keep coming up in your, in your testimony, which was so encouraging to me because I can, as a pastor, um, tell the people that I serve 
look, if, if you have the Bible and if you know how to explain the gospel, you can have confidence in speaking to an unbeliever. If you have the Bible and if you, and if you really understand uh, the gospel. And, and, I, and again, I thought that your explanation of the role of the Holy Spirit in moving this from strictly an intellectual journey for you to one that became moral and spiritual was powerful because we've seen that so often. I mean, that that's the road that unbelievers go on their way to belief. And so, uh, again, I just tell our listeners, uh, Dr. Bignon uh, writes in a very accessible way, um, but it's a fun read. It's an encouraging read. If you're a Christian, you're going to rejoice all along the way, but you're also going to be equipped. And I would just encourage you. I, I know a, a, an unbeliever that I sit at a table with two or three times a week. Um, he's a university professor, and um, I'm going to put this book in his hand. And I'm going to challenge him to read it and see, you know, see his his response. But I can already begin thinking of people that I that I want to pass this along to. And and I would say to our listeners, um, this is a book you want to get. It's one that you want to give away. It's one that you want to sit down with someone in your life who's an unbeliever and, and go through it with them along with the Bible. And I think it'll be a great source of encouragement. So Guillaume, thank you so much, um, not only for writing the book, but then for also appearing. Um, on mortification of spin today. We're so grateful uh, for the work you put into this. We rejoice in the Lord's work in your life and how he demolished and deconstructed your atheism and your testimony to that. So thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for your kind words. Uh, and obviously, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with my other work, but I'm also a, a philosopher of free will and I do work on uh, sovereignty and uh, human responsibility. And I defend the Calvinist view of salvation. So uh, this is music to my Excellent. ears. And this is indeed the way that I would describe the fact that uh, throughout all of this, it's a, a sovereign God who chose me when I was not any better than anyone else, not more spiritually open or hostile to uh, religion in general. Yeah. And it, indeed, the work of a sovereign God who says, uh, I don't care about your unbelief. Mm. I'm going to crack this open yeah. and get into your heart and get the gospel in there. And it, it happened. Oh, and it's, a fun, it's a fun story to tell. Absolutely. Well, you'll want to Google uh, our guest's name. You're going to want to get this book and access uh, the other work that he does. Um, we commend it to you. And if you'll go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, um, you can register to win a copy of this excellent book, Confessions of a French Atheist by Guillaume Bion. And um, again, I don't know how else to commend it in, in ways that I already have not. It's excellent. And we encourage you to read it um, while you're at our website. If you'd like to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that we can continue to provide this sort of content, feel free to do that. And thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin. I love Paris in the Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.
Monsieur Beignon <rire> Monsieur Truman <rire> Ah Alors, bonjour <rire> Hello Nice to meet you As long as you're a huge donor, we'll treat you with respect. <laughs> yes, I understand this is the way you guys perceive. So I figured I'm safe. Did you know that most people view a church's website before they'll ever step foot in the door? So how's your church's site? Would an online visitor searching for a church home find it inviting? Does it reflect your ministry as it should? Perhaps it's time to start a new site for your church that reaches out more effectively with a design that engages visitors while keeping members connected. Reformation Sites has beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as sermon manager, online bulletins, ministries, books, and notifications. It also integrates with other popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving with pricing that fits into any church budget. In the month of May, we're offering 15% off the website setup fee. Get started by using coupon code RS15 when you go to reformationsites.com. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern reformation.